0: My name is Trevor Miller. I'm one of the pastors here on staff at Mount Horeb, and I work with our family ministry. And so this season, this kind of time of year is one of my favorites, because I know that hopefully as schools begin to kind of lessen, my boys told me on Thursday, last in-school day they had, and so we have a few virtual days in the way, and then it's straight on to Christmas. And so maybe a chance for us to spend time together as family uh, during this season is a a beautiful thing for me, and it's a really exciting thing for me. And even this morning, I mean, when we start singing these kinds of songs in the service, and the the sanctuary begins to look in this kind of Kind of way, you can just tell something is changing, something is happening. We're getting closer and closer to Christmas. I can't believe it's this week. Can you believe it? It's happened so quickly. So, this morning, I want to um, remind you we've been in the midst of a series called Home for Christmas, and we've been looking at and discovering all the different ways that when we hope come home for Christmas, things that, that we should experience, things that should come to us, and maybe for those of us that don't experience this, and even in the person of Jesus and in the time of Christmas, these are things that we do experience. Uh, first week, we talked about uh, the weary finding rest and how many in the room can relate to that. We need some rest. It's been a tough year. It's been a long year. And so one of the things we receive when we come home for Christmas is is rest, true rest. We also talked about last week that we receive grace for the broken. For those who have been through a difficult time, who have been far from home, Jesus reminds us that we are welcomed back home with grace as the Father welcomes us back with open arms. And this morning I want to talk about um, how the empty are filled, the empty are filled during this season and during this time. Now we are in the midst of a season called Advent, and if you're unfamiliar with Advent or you don't understand what Advent fully means, there's a full four weeks leading up to Christmas Day as we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. Now Advent is Latin, which means the coming. It's an anticipation, kind of behind Advent is this, this attitude and this feeling of expectation, anticipation of someone who is going to arrive or something that will finally arrive and so the whole season that we are experiencing right now is really marked by a waiting a deep waiting and longing for something to finally take place we're waiting for Christmas to come and so maybe even this morning some of you maybe some kids in the room today you've been waiting for Christmas since last Christmas I mean day after you've been counting down the days once again for Christmas to arrive and you've been very patiently waiting for it to be here Maybe for some in the room, you've not been so patient. I mean, Christmas is something that you cannot wait for, and we are five days away from celebrating together once again for Christmas. Maybe for some in the room today, I mean, the next five days will creep by. You know, this is what always happens. The final week leading up, it just seems like it never actually gets here until finally we will be able to celebrate Christmas once again. Now, this whole season of Advent and this waiting, what we learn sometimes is that some of us were not very patient, are we? I mean, waiting for Christmas can be a hard thing for a lot of us in the room. And some of us, we just find out that we're not very patient. I am one of those people. I would love to say that I'm somebody who is very patient. I'm actually someone that is very uh, uh, anti-patience even. I mean, for me, when I get a gift in my hand for someone that that I'm going to give a gift to for Christmas, I cannot wait. And so I'm the kind of guy that goes to my wife and it's like three days out. I'm like, listen, we're so close. Just one gift, just open one gift. My kids love it. They're like, yeah, dad, one gift under the tree. That'd be wonderful. But I mean, it's a hard thing for me. I get so anxious and so excited to finally be able to experience it. So when I have a gift burning a hole in my pocket, I'm ready to take care of it right here, right now. Now in the room, there's probably different kinds of gift buyers and gift givers. Maybe you're one of those folks you were done shopping in July on Amazon. You've got it all taken care of. And so now it's just a matter of waiting till Christmas comes. That would be a nightmare for me. Waiting from July all the way till December would be far too much. Maybe you're more like me and you're the one who goes to the candlelight service and as soon as it's over, it's like a beeline to Walgreens to get the last things that you need and you barely beat Santa back to the house at night on Christmas Eve. Maybe you're like that. But all of us were waiting and anticipating during this Christmas season for Christmas to finally be here. And in the Advent season, this kind of waiting that the people of Israel, the Jewish folks experienced in the Old Testament, waiting for Jesus to finally come is a different kind of waiting. It wasn't about gifts. It wasn't about stockings on the mantle. It wasn't about lights on the tree. But instead, it was a waiting and anticipation of the fulfillment of prophecy from the Old Testament. They were waiting for what had been written about years and years and years ago before Jesus actually showed up on the scene. Now what's interesting for us as the church is we are still an Advent people. Even though Jesus has come, we are still waiting, we believe as a church, for Jesus to return. So just like he came in, in the beginning, he will once again come back, and we're waiting for that as well. We find ourselves in a waiting game. It's what it means to celebrate Christmas. The Jewish people were waiting for what they referred to as a Messiah, one who would finally come and would take care of all of the injustice in the world. This Messiah was going to come and he would heal all the things that sin had broken within the world. All the oppression that existed, those things would be defeated. And when the Messiah would come, he would restore all things back to the way God first intended for them to be. This is what they waited for. This is what they longed for. This is what the the Advent season was all about. It sounds like something worth waiting for, doesn't it? For things to be back right, the way God first intended. Here's how it's written in the Old Testament. One of the first prophecies about this coming Messiah in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, the writer says this. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him what? Emmanuel, which means God with us. The Lord himself will give you a sign. There will be a sign that your faithful expectation, your faithful waiting has finally paid off. There will be a thing that will finally take place. And when it takes place, you know that you finally have come to that day. And it was written about years ago in the Old Testament before it actually took place in the New. But there was a sign the Lord would give. Now, I grew up in Indiana, which is a far off land uh, in the north part of our country. And in Indiana, during the Christmas season, during winter, there's something called snow. You've never seen it before. It's white, kind of cold. You can pack it, throw snowballs, that kind of thing. And for me as a kid, we always anticipated Christmas. We were so excited about Christmas because of a couple things. One, you get to celebrate Christmas, but also school was out for a time. And so all these things were so exciting. And I remember in Indiana, there was a sign that we always waited for that let us know that we were, no, we were finally getting close to the Christmas season, and that was the first snow. Like in Indiana, when the first snow finally fell, you know you were in late fall, early winter. You were finally moving your way towards December and December 24th, 25th. And it was finally coming. It was the sign to show you that the waiting that you had taken part in for who knows how long that year had finally come to pass. And the things that you had waited for were just around the corner. The Jewish people were waiting for the same kind of thing. And the writer says, there will be a sign that is given to you, and that sign will be a virgin who will give birth to a son named Emmanuel. And this sign was more of just a, than a boy being born in a dusty stable. The sign was the fact that God was not content to stay somewhere far off from us, but instead he wanted to come close. He wanted to be Emmanuel, God with us. Instead of being somewhere far off from us, he wanted to be in our life, Working in our life, right in our midst. But as I said earlier, some of us are not very good at being patient, are we? It's hard to wait for God to do things within our life when the world offers us things so quickly. Because our God is a God who grows things, but the world is a world who manufactures things. The things of God are the things that last, but the things of the world are the things that are temporary. And when we find ourselves waiting for God to move too often, we are tempted to want to make it happen on our own because God's timing is not our timing. Amen. And many of us in the room this morning, you, you feel this phrase right here. God's timing is not our timing. The things that we long for, the things that we want, the things that we wait for often don't happen within our own time frame. And waiting on God to work can be a difficult thing. And maybe even today, right now, there are things that you are waiting for. You're anticipating, eagerly anticipating God to finally come and restore your marriage. You're waiting for God to, kind, to finally come and to quiet the anxiety that you feel within your life. You're waiting for God to finally bring a special person into your life. You're, you're waiting for God to bring that job that you've been anxiously waiting for, and it just seems like it never actually happens. And you just continue to wait on God to move. This kind of feeling takes place within the scriptures often. And and this kind of feeling is given all kinds of words, all kinds of ways of understanding. Oftentimes in the scriptures, this kind of feeling is called an emptiness. Sometimes it's called an aching or a void. And we may know exactly what this feels like to feel the emptiness within our life, to feel the void, to feel the ache. And the problem is when we feel this, oftentimes we find the quickest way to fill it. What is the quickest way to no longer feel the things that I'm feeling? So instead of waiting on God to come and restore our marriage, it's easier sometimes just to step out and do it on our own. Waiting for God to come and take care of the anxiety within our lives, sometimes it's easier to just self-medicate on our own. Or to wait for that relationship to finally come and instead to settle for a relationship that we know is not the best. When we feel emptiness and ache and a void, too often we are tempted to want to fill it on our own but Advent is about the wait. Advent is about expectation. Advent is about anticipation. You see, the Christmas narrative, the story within the Bible and the Gospels about the birth of Jesus Christ, we are first introduced to a young woman named Mary. And in Luke chapter 1, we find out that she's a simple woman, and she's engaged to a man named Joseph And they've been waiting, just like the rest of the Jewish people, for this Messiah to finally come, so that all things that were broken and wrong could finally be made right and whole. Little did she know that God's timing would not be her timing, because she finds herself wrapped up in the story of God and what he's up to. In fact, it's definitely not her timing, because she would have much rather waited to be married before she became pregnant. I mean, can you imagine Mary going and having this conversation with Joseph, Joseph. I'm pregnant and I'm going to have a baby, but it gets a little dicier because it's not your child. And in fact, it's not any man's child. This, this child, the Bible says, comes by the Holy Spirit of God. God has brought this child into Mary's womb. Now Mary then eventually goes to meet with her cousin Elizabeth, and the Bible tells us that Elizabeth also is pregnant, and they have a time of celebration with one another, realizing that God has chosen Mary to bring this Messiah, the Savior, into the world. Now as soon as they had this experience, we read something in the scriptures in Luke chapter 1 that is known as the Magnificat. And this is what is known as Mary's song, as Mary sings a response to God because of him choosing her to bring Jesus into the world. I want to read for you this song that she sings, but I want you to notice some themes and some, and some words that show up often within this passage. Here's what it says in verse 46 through 55. And Mary said... He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent away the rich, away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised his ancestors. This is a common theme that runs throughout this song that Mary sings. This this phrasing that, that Mary chooses to use. And some of the things she says is, she says that she speaks of humility, being a humble servant. She says that God topples those who have thrones and he exalts those who are lowly. He says he satisfies the hungry while he turns the rich away empty. See, the theme of the Magnificat, this Song of Mary, is that God is for those who sense the ache. God is for those who sense that they are empty. God is for those who sense that there is a void because those are the ones who are willing to wait on the Lord to move. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German pastor and theologian who stood up against Nazi oppression once said this, the only ones who can celebrate Advent are the people who carry restlessness around with them, whose souls give them no peace who know that they are poor and incomplete and who sense something of the greatness that is supposed to come. You see, there's a reason in this Christmas story that we are introduced to this peasant girl named Mary who's engaged to a simple man named Joseph who is from backwoods Nazareth, which is like the ancient Near Eastern Mineta of their time. There's a reason he's born into a dusty stable and he's visited first and foremost by outcast shepherds. God is trying to say something here. God is not working in the lives of those who don't feel like they need him. God is interested in working the lives of those who feel the ache and the void and the emptiness and who know they need to be filled. And so this entire story, this longing, this advent, this long waiting for salvation is based upon those who know that they are in need of rescue. And those are the ones that God comes to and he intervenes. So here's my question this morning. When is the last time you felt the ache? When is the last time that you sensed a void? When is the last time that you you knew that you were empty and you were in need of being filled? You see, the only prerequisite for being filled within the scriptures is knowing that you first and foremost are empty. That's the prerequisite for God filling your life when we know that we are empty. I believe this Christmas season, God wants to fill our lives with his presence. I believe that this season, maybe unlike any other season, God wants to overflow through our life by his spirit. I believe God longs to be with us and through us. But too many of us here in the room this morning, we don't realize that we actually are empty and in our need of being filled. Because too often we have filled ourselves already. There's this really interesting piece of the story as Joseph and Mary come to Bethlehem. As you may know, maybe you've heard this story your entire life. This this story is that Joseph and Mary have to come to Bethlehem to be counted in the census. Rome said so, and so you've got to move. So Joseph says to Mary, we've got to go to Bethlehem, to my hometown to be counted. I can't imagine going to my wife and saying to her, listen, we've got to travel to my hometown to be counted. Uh, At best by donkey, at worst on foot. And you're nine months pregnant. My wife would be like, see ya. Do it on your own. But Joseph and Mary, they travel to Bethlehem to be counted in the census as they should. Mary is nine months pregnant. They end up in Bethlehem. And as you know, the story goes, once they get to Bethlehem, they're looking for a place to stay. But there is no room in the inn. There's no room in the inn. There's no space for Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus. Now, what's interesting to me is I started looking to this passage this week. This word in, in the Greek, can be translated in multiple different ways. It doesn't just mean in, because I think often I've had this picture in my head of like, like the, the Bethlehem Best Western that Joseph and Mary come up to, or the Bethlehem's, you know Motel 6, and there's no rooms in the hotel, and so they've got to go into the barn to have the baby Jesus. But actually, this word in the Greek is the word kataluma. And it can be translated as in, but it's also translated as guest quarters or spare room. And so as the story talks about this inn, this cataluma, what it's actually talking about is the ancient Near Eastern practice of hospitality. Almost every Jewish family would have a spare room or a guest room in their house that they would use for weary travelers along the way. They would invite them in to stay for the night so they could get where they're going the next day. This was the guest room, the spare room, the cataluma. Now the problem was the cataluma; it was full. There was no space in the house. Maybe one of the most tragic things in this entire story is that the house is full. There's no space for Jesus. I think one of the most tragic things that could happen to this season as we celebrate as families, as we come home for Christmas, is if, in fact, our home is too full as well for Jesus to be present and for Jesus to show up. Because far too many of us, we have filled ourselves with lesser things and we have missed out then on the greater things. When I decided to become a pastor kind of professionally as, as my job, I realized that Christmas Eve would never be what it once was. And Christmas Eve used to be this wonderful time with family and food. And now as a pastor, I know that and as I, it's a blessing to be at a church like Mount Horror. We have five services. And so typically I'm here from 11 a.m. to 11 p.m. My wife knows this is part of the deal. My kids know it's a part of the deal. And it's what it means to serve here in this place. And so pre-COVID, what this meant was, we were here all day long for services, there would be snacks in the church to be able to eat, to be able to survive till the very end of the night till you go home. Now, a couple of years ago, we had a chance between services. My family had decided to do a Christmas dinner at Jenna's grandmother's house, which is just a mile down the road. And so I was going to have a little bit of time to sneak out, to go down there, eat some good food, and then come back for the last two services before we all go to bed on Christmas Eve. And so sure enough, that was my plan. I was going to go eat Christmas dinner, enjoy all the good food. I mean, all the really, really good stuff, the ham, you know, the deviled eggs, you name it, all of it was going to be there. I was so excited about it. But the problem was standing between me and Christmas dinner was all the snacks that were here at the church all day long. Some of those snacks, beef and cheese, crackers, those things are fine. I can be like, no, I'm not really that interested in that cookies. That's a bit more of an issue. But the big problem was two years ago, there was little Debbie Christmas tree cakes And if you know me, it's a weakness, me and little Debbie. So I was fine most of the day. Everything was going great. But then all of a sudden I found the Christmas tree cakes. And so I ate 100. And by the time I was done and I went to Jenna's grandma's house to eat Christmas dinner, I had filled myself so full of Christmas tree cakes. There was no space anymore now for the good meal that everyone else was enjoying. I got there. was like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, I I don't want to explain it to you. I kind of wasted all my calories on something that I probably shouldn't have. And they were good, but not that good. I think one of the problems that we experience during the Christmas season is, is we too, we, we have filled ourselves with so many things. When we feel that void, that emptiness, when we feel that ache, we are so quick to want to fill it with something else. And some of these things, they're not bad, some of these things are even good. Some of these things are, are destructive, are toxic. But either way, it's so full that we don't allow ourselves then to make space for the really great things. Some of us in the room, we we have so filled ourselves with a focus on healthy bank accounts, successful careers, family vacations, expensive houses, nice cars, desires of the flesh, lusts of the eye. And because of all of this, filling to the brim with no space for anything else, Jesus simply becomes an add-on. He's just a third wheel. We tip our hat to him every once in a while. We bring his name up in conversation when it's convenient. But in the end, we no longer feel the emptiness that we long for God to fill. Because we've already done it ourselves. Are you too full to be filled with God this season? Are you too full already to really fully allow God to bring all that he has for you during this Christmas season Maybe this season, one of the best decisions we can make is actually emptying ourselves of certain areas of our lives, saying no to some things so we can say yes to better things. Maybe sometimes in life, if we're really honest, we come to realize that our life just gets packed and we don't even see it happening. It just happens so quickly and kind of by surprise, my wife and I recently moved to our new house, finally. We had lived with my parents for a couple, nine weeks, and we finally got out of their home and gave it back to them, and we moved into our new house, and it's been awesome. It's on a little bit of piece of property. There's some trees. It's wonderful. Just need a tractor, and they'll be all good, and we enjoy being out there. My boys love it, but when we moved from the house, we started packing up all this stuff, and maybe you've had this experience before. You're like, we've been here nine years. Where'd all this junk come from? Like, what is all this stuff? And it's true that you accumulate so many things. We get so stuffed of all this stuff. And I wish I was joking, but this is the actual truth. I took 10 large Rubbermaid boxes of Christmas decor and ornaments out of our attic to a storage unit until we could finally let it throw up in our house again, too, during Christmas. I'm like, Jenna, where did all this stuff come from? She's like, I have no idea. It just kind of happens. And it does, doesn't it? When we're not paying attention, life can get so full. Life can be so full that we no longer have space for anything else. And and maybe in life, like us, we begin to downsize. We, We got rid of some stuff. We threw a lot of stuff away. We donated some things. It was time for a good purge to start fresh and start new. And I wonder if maybe this morning we need to be challenged to do the same kind of thing, to have a good purge from some of the things that are within our life some things that have so filled us up that we no longer feel the need for God to fill us himself. Because along the way, we accumulate all kinds of baggage, commitments that we don't need to have anymore, guilt, shame, you name it, it gets loaded on. And so what we end up doing is we box it up over and over and over again. We move it to the next place. And maybe sometimes it's important for us to finally say enough is enough. This stuff is not making one more move. It's gonna stay right here. And why? Why? It's because I believe the people, the people who are truly filled by the Spirit of God are the ones that first know that they are empty. The ones who make space for Jesus to take up residence are the ones who first and foremost recognize that they have a space that needs to be filled by him. Later in the scriptures, when this baby Jesus grows up, he begins to teach all kinds of very important truths for us. And one of the most famous things that he teaches comes from John chapter 15 as he's speaking to his disciples and he's, he's talking about this feeling that he wants to have within the lives of people. And here's what he says in John fifteen five. as he talks about vines and branches. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. If you remain in me and I remain in you, then you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, this message right here that Jesus gives, this is an Advent message. Wait for me to fill you. I'm the vine. I'm where all of life comes from. I'm the one who truly fulfills. I'm the vine. You are the branches Receive from me. This is where all of life comes from. Now, I know some people in my life who would say to me, Trevor, listen, I have not had Jesus my entire life, and I'm doing very well on my own. I've got everything I need. I've provided for my family. I've provided for myself. Everything's gone great, and I haven't had to have Jesus. I don't understand what you're talking about. Whenever I have this conversation, I'm reminded in the scriptures where the Bible says this, that the sum of a man or a woman's life does not consist of an abundance of possessions. We don't get extra points because our life is full. We don't get extra points because the bank account's full, because our house is full. I'm reminded in the scriptures where it says this, what does it profit a man or a woman to gain the whole world and yet what? Forfeit their soul. There are a lot of temporary things that we can gather here in this life, but there are some things that are eternal that can only come through one source, and that is Jesus. When we find ourselves too full, we might find ourselves unable to experience that eternal the really good things we fold our we filled ourselves with mediocre things you see Jesus is always inviting us home for Christmas because when God makes his home in us God makes his home in us when we make our home in him remain in me and I will remain in you I had this great plan yesterday that I was going to come and give this message, and I was going to point to this wonderful stained glass picture on the wall right over here in the sanctuary that is actually covered up by the Christmas tree. (laughs) Didn't think about that part. Uh, But there's a picture in the sanctuary that I look at every single time that I'm in this room. I've been here at this church for over 16 years. It's a story that I've heard Jeff tell many, many times, and it's, it's a very significant picture here in this room. And it's a, it's a painting that was probably painted between 1851 and 1853 by a man named William Holman Hunt, and it's called The Light of the World. And, and the painting, this picture is of Jesus, who's walking up to this door, this door that is overgrown with vines and has not been opened in a very, very long time. And the painting is depicting, depicting Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. In Revelation three twenty, here's what it says. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will sup with him, and he will be with me. The most amazing thing about this painting is the door that Jesus is walking up to does not have a handle on the outside. The only way to open the door is from the inside. And this is the truth of what it means to have this Advent longing and waiting. We are waiting to God for God to do something within our life. And the truth is, he already has. Jesus Christ has already come. And potentially, the, the key here is for us to open the door from the inside, to allow him to come into our life. Because Jesus says, when you stay connected to me, I will stay connected to you. If you make your home in me, I will make my home in you. But the only way this happens is we must be people who recognize the ache, who feel the emptiness, who understand the void, and realize those are the individuals who God decides to fill. So back to Mary's song. The song that Mary sings, she doesn't realize it quite yet, but this, this baby that is growing in her stomach, this thing that God is doing within her, was not just to be a blessing for her and her family. But this birth of Jesus that she was bringing into the world was not just a blessing for them, but it was a blessing to the entire world. That he would come and live his life and ultimately sacrifice himself on the cross to give an opportunity for new life for all people. And if we are willing to empty ourselves this Christmas season, if we're willing to get rid of a few things here and there to be able to make space for Jesus to fill us, what I believe might happen is we might be willing then to be able to pour out from us to the world that is in need. The last thing I want to say today is this, God fills the empty to be emptied again. God fills the empty to be emptied again. It is very important that as God blesses us and pours into us, that is not to be a reservoir for us to keep to ourselves. We are to be a catalyst to be able to bless the world around us by the way that we live, by the way that we move, by the way that we breathe, by the way that we serve the world around us. So as we are filled, we are in turn emptied once again. There's a prayer that we pray every single Sunday. We prayed it this morning. It's known as the Lord's Prayer. And there's a portion of the Lord's Prayer that reads like this Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. You know why it doesn't say, Lord, give us bread for the rest of our lives? No, give us this day, our daily bread, because otherwise, if we were so full, we might find ourselves being tempted to forget about God. But if we find ourselves too empty, we might find ourselves trying to fill ourselves with things that are lesser than God himself. Give us this day, our daily bread. Give us just enough, God. Give us just enough, that we might know that we are dependent upon you. And as you give it to us and we empty ourselves once again, it is a reminder of this void, this emptiness, this need to be filled daily, a daily dependence upon him. And so this morning, my prayer for all of us is that when we leave this place today, that we would sense the longing that we have for Jesus to fill our lives, that he might illuminate within our lives some things that need to be gone in order to make space for him to truly come, that we might experience him this Christmas unlike any other Would you join me this morning? Let's pray together. God, thank you. Thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace that you so willingly give to us. We pray that today, God, that you would point out in our life maybe the things that we have settled for that is so much less than what you want for us. Would you help us to see, God, some of the things that we could say no to so that we could say yes to things that are even better? And I pray, God, that as we find ourselves being filled by your spirit, that we would be generous to allow it to overflow from our lives into the lives of those around us. Keep us dependent upon you, God. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us enough that we would not be tempted to forget about you. And make sure, God, that we have some so we are not tempted to take care of ourselves on our own. We love you today, Lord, and we look forward, we anticipate, we advent this Christmas season to the coming of Jesus Christ. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.